amenities, making your daily life a breeze. Specializing in new construction, single-family homes, Jenny Redinger is your real estate expert. Contact her today at yournewwyomminghome.com. Hey Sheridan, it's Laura with your Main Street Project update. Where has the summer gone? With five months behind us and two to go, this project is in its last phase for the construction season. Main Street from Dow to Alger is open. Due to the construction associated with the remodel of the Katy Building, East Alger will remain closed to through traffic. West Alger is open. Main Street from Alger to Laux is now closed to traffic. The intersection of Laux Street remains open. As always, there's plenty of parking a short, heart healthy walk for Main Street. The Gould Street parking lot is a great option. Whether you're walking or driving, watch for detours and keep a watchful eye out for those pedestrians navigating their way to our fabulous downtown businesses. Pedestrians, as you're navigating the sidewalks through the closure area, watch for temporary water lines that cross the sidewalk, as well as occasional sidewalk detours where we are upgrading them to meet ADA requirements. Our next public meeting will be August 30th, 1.30, ERA Carroll Realty, second floor. Questions, comments, or concerns? Give me a call, 674-2356. Thank you for your patience and understanding. I'm Steve Sisson, inviting you to Jackalopes Explore, the new video podcast from Sheridan Media. It's unlike anything else on your feed. Every week, the Jackalopes explore something, and it could be anything. Politics, UFO sightings, social issues, conspiracies, no matter what it is, we'll dig for the truth and explore it with a unique Wyoming perspective through an entertaining, lively conversation. Take a trip down the Jackalope hole with us every week. Jackalopes Explore, new episodes, Wednesdays at SheridanMedia.com. Your search for office supplies starts right here at the Sheridan Commercial Company. Hi, Kurt Smith here. We've stocked our office supply department with supplies that meet your everyday work challenges. Our online store at SheridanCommercial.com where you can explore and discover exclusive deals and compare prices with a few clicks. So whether you prefer the in-store experience at 303 Broadway or the digital office store at SheridanCommercial.com, the Sheridan Commercial Company and office supply store is your partner, open seven days a week. At Sunlight Federal Credit Union, we know how important convenience, time, and flexibility are for you. That's why we've joined the Co-op Shared Branching Network, which gives you access to your account at over 5,600 branches across all 50 states. That's just one more way we make Sunlight Federal Credit Union your branch for your funds, no matter what you're doing or where you're at. Join Sunlight Federal Credit Union today and start experiencing the credit union difference. This is Public Pulse, your information and conversation program, brought to you by First Federal Bank and Trust. You can voice your opinion by calling 672-KROE. That's 672-5763. Now, your host for Public Pulse, Floyd Whitey. Good morning and welcome to Public Pulse. Make sure you're taking an umbrella with you if you're going anywhere this morning. It's a little dreary outside. My guest this morning is the executive director of the Museum at the Bighorns, Danielle Stuckel. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning, Floyd. You staying dry out there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been kind of off and on and not a real downpour, but just that constant sprinkle from yeah. what I've had. Uh, as, do you remember anything in the middle of the night, like a downpour of any kind or anything? It seems like early this morning I heard something, but I wasn't really sure if it was the rain or the sprinklers or what. <laughs> <laughs> something was landing on the house. I'm not sure what. How's the summer been up at the museum? Pretty good. Um, we've had so much change going on. I've been in the middle of changing so many exhibits. We've talked about some of them um, as I've come in over the summer. And we just got, I think the last time I was here, we talked about 
teepees that I had ordered. We yes. Just, we just got them. Um, I'm in the process of figuring out how to set them up. We have two of them. And uh, one is a Dakota-style teepee and one is a crow-style teepee. So I'm really looking forward to being able to talk to people about how they're different. And that's one one of the many changes we've had up at the museum this summer. I think that's fascinating. And, and I love that you've gotten two separate types. Um, because a lot of us, you know, like you and I were talking about before, we think a teepee's a teepee's a teepee. Right. right? Like, but there was a lot of significant cultural aspects to each tribes teepee wasn't yeah it? how how they're decorated or not how they're set up how um it, just a number of factors um how um how many poles are used to to put them up there's a there's a lot of differences and um, i'm really excited to be able to speak about that that'll be fascinating yeah. Where, are you going to be able to have both of them up at the same time you guys have room up there i i think we're going to be able to do that i wasn't sure exactly when i was picturing how they would sit inside the building i wasn't sure how that was going to look but i think it's going to work out and i'm excited to have them Initially, I was going to have one outside, and now the sizes that I ordered, I think they'll both fit inside. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, and I've never really seen that anywhere before where I've seen teepees inside museums. I've, I've had teepees inside some of the museums I've worked at, but I've never seen two set up side by side like that, so you could really compare them. So yeah. I'm excited that we'll be able to do that. That'll be good for programs, especially when kids come in. Oh, kids are going to love it. Yeah. Those kids are really going to. And speaking of kids, they're all heading back to school. Is the museum, do you guys have have to sit and make partnerships or anything or discussions on programming to have classes come into the the museum we're actively building relationships with teachers our our museum has always offered some programs for students but that is an uh, an area where i worked a lot in in previous previous jobs i've worked a lot with teachers and a lot specifically for school programming and so we're trying to build new relationships with local teachers we had some um, school tours this past spring that I think went really well. The teachers commented that they were excited about the changes we were making to programs. So I'm looking forward to being able to really um, work more closely with the teachers in the areas in the area about what they need, yeah. um, what their students need, what they're looking for, and how we can provide that. A lot of the things, as a history museum, the things that we really focus on, um, especially in the last decade, has become media literacy how um, students use, um, as history students learn how to do primary source research, we can use all of that to help them understand how to navigate our current media environment so that they understand where the sources are yeah. of what they're reading and looking at and how to figure out who created this and what their agenda was. Everybody has a bias um, when they create something. That's the whole reason you write something or take a picture or anything. Um, there's always some sort of editorial content in there, no matter how much you try to strip that out. And how do students learn how to navigate all of that and understand what somebody's agenda is in creating something and how to use that to construct an argument. Um, a lot of people think that when we do historical work that it's more of a book report we're just reviewing something that happened but in reality we're really interpreting things how does it have relevance for today how does how did it impact um, what our world looks like today and how did how does this event in history depict change over time so to have students um, do historical work we're trying to get them to focus instead of focusing on a book report type of project we want them to really 
really analyze something. And, and media literacy is part of that. How do you analyze these sources and understand, um, make an argument for this matters because. Mm-hmm. And that's an important part of historical work that people often miss. And so in our general history museum, that's one of the things we want to do. We want to connect people with um, people of the past and people of the community and what the area of Sheridan is, but we also really want to help articulate why Sheridan matters, why the living in the Bighorns matters, and how is it relevant to life today? Why do people live here today? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and we can look back historically and make arguments and analysis of why why things happened the way they did, what patterns happened. I like to say that historians are the ultimate futurists because we're always looking for those patterns of how things happened to predict what's going to happen in the future. If you want to know where to develop in Sheridan, it helps to have an understanding of where people have lived in Sheridan over over the past year. So those are things we want students to understand when they come into the museum. And, and that historical research is so much broader and deeper and analytical than just a book report. And that's fascinating. Because, <laughs> I mean, you think right off the bat, the kids are going to go up there, oh, we're going to look at the paleontology exhibit, we're going to go back and, and write about bones, and it's going to be fun. But it goes so much deeper than that. Right. Understanding the context yes. of history. Yep. And and I really like how you emphasize, you know, it's it's written from one person's point of view here and another person's point of view there. Right. And if you really want to say... I understand the subject. You better yeah. read both sides right. of that subject. And people get so frustrated with historians. Um, they want things to be distilled just to the facts. Um, and and we talk about forensic facts in history. That's very important. But you also have to understand that um, everybody is bringing their own concept of truth to the argument and so it changes it changes as we discover new materials every time somebody's grandma dies and you bring out a bunch of letters from the attic we have a whole new trove of primary source materials to look at that tell how somebody responded to an event and i really like um you know broad large topics like presidential history is incredibly important but the area where i work is very focused on the common man the everyday man what did somebody's grandma experience during world war ii that's very important to me and our community um, probably more so than presidential history is Um, what did your grandpa do when he worked in the coal mine what did your grandma do when she was working in a factory on the home front those are the places where history touches us deeply and that's the area where i want our museum to really focus so that when people are coming in they're making those connections and have that emotional and intellectual connection with both our museum and the community of Sheridan and the other people who have lived here over time. And as a kid going through something like that and understanding the humanity of your area and, and the way that our interaction with the land, our interaction with the people who are already here, yeah, our interaction as a people with this wonderful land around us really gives an ownership to a child yes. where they can look back and they can say, this is my region. This is the history of my region. This yes. is how grandma and grandpa did this. This yep. is how great grandma and grandpa did this. Yeah. You know, I'm getting older. The great, the greats are now, or the grandparents are now greats. But, uh, you know, the, and it's not that far back if you really, if you really look at it. I right. mean, my grandmother 
told stories about riding in the wagon. Yeah. And one of her first memories was going out to the farm. Yeah. And she just said that she was sitting in the back of the wagon, and she just remembers looking down and being very happy that she was wearing her striped socks because striped socks were rare back then. Oh. And so she was happy to have them. (laughs) That uh, she just, she said she just remembers that. It's just amazing that children can get that type of interaction and yeah. we need to preserve that type of history like you said in letters journals yeah things that were made here yeah to get the perspective of the people from here yeah even very young kids can start to understand the impact of historical events um if you um work in that area and know how to talk to kids and and the different levels of their understanding um, you obviously can't just give a second grader a big college level history book but if you take that down and distill it to what's really important and how how we connect um, authentic stories with people really young kids can understand how important that is and start to understand they can start to build an understanding of the the larger historical context around them and that's just amazing to watch that's amazing and and, you know it kind of depends on where you go to school um i split school between here in wyoming and oregon and in oregon all through grammar school like the lower grades you are learning about nothing but the Oregon Trail in oh, history yeah. over yeah. and over. Boy, they pound that India. Yeah. You know, where it's just, okay, I got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. A lot of folks showed up. I Did get it. Anything else happen here? <laughs> yeah. You start wondering what the heck else was going on in the world. Now, another way, another avenue that you have to get into the classrooms are the history boxes. Are these uh, already kind of scheduled out for the year are teachers really active in grabbing these boxes and taking them into their classrooms i'm not sure yet just because i'm still new enough to the area that i'm i'm not sure how much demand there's going to be for them this year we've been working on trying to analyze what's in them how we can make them better Uh, we did have several teachers check them out last spring so i'm looking forward to making sure that teachers are aware that this resource is available and and again taking a look at is is this the resource that is as strong as it could be for teachers how can we make this better and and again it helps to build those relationships with teachers so that we know that the service we're providing is what they actually want and need. Absolutely. Now, i got to take a quick commercial break, but before I go, if a teacher out there is listening to this and they're like, oh, the history boxes, that's right, i got to jump on that. What do they need to do to schedule the, the use of a history box? They can call me at uh, 675-1150 or email me at director at museumbighorns.org. Fantastic. All right. We're going to have more at the museum at the Bighorns right after this. You're listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE at 103.9 FM. Share. Are you?
you're tired of dealing with complicated bank switches, at First Federal Bank and Trust, we understand that where you bank matters and switching to the right bank should be a breeze. Introducing ClickSwitch, your ultimate solution to hassle-free direct deposit transfers. With ClickSwitch, we automatically move your recurring direct deposits from your old account to your new account. It's simple, safe, and takes just minutes. When you bank with First Federal, you're not just a customer. You're a valued member of the community. We take pride in living and working right alongside you, contributing to the growth of our local economy. First Federal Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Wyoming Corporate Office is the trusted business choice behind thousands of businesses. Whether it's business formation, payroll, corporate paperwork, mail scanning service, or small business phone service, Wyoming Corporate Office powers over 100,000 businesses worldwide and locally. This makes Wyoming Corporate Office the state's largest business-to-business service provider located right here in Sheridan, Wyoming. If you're drowning in corporate paperwork looking for someone with an unmatched experience that cares and wants to be your partner in making your business successful, trust that Wyoming Corporate Office can help you focus on what makes your business tick. Learn more today by visiting wyomingcorporateoffice.com. Hey there, folks. Is your water well just not the well you want? Feeling like you're stuck in a drought? You tired of waiting for water like it's a slow-moving turtle? Well, lift your head up high and take a walk in the sunshine. Call 307 Wildcat Well Service, and they'll have water flowing like a river. They know where the good water is and how to drill for it. If your current well is leaving you high and dry, Google 307 Wildcat Well Service for water. Cool. Clear. Water. This is Ken here at Prime Rate Motors, where we understand everybody's situation is different. We recently had a customer that needed to keep his ranch truck, not traded in. What he needed was a car for town. After visiting with him, we discovered that what he did have was an extra stock trailer. We were able to take that trailer in as a trade-in and got him a nice economy car that was good on gas and easy to park downtown. Stop in. Let's work something out. Here at Prime Rate Motors, the Super Trailer Store, or PrimeRateMotors.com. Hi, this is Christy Kinghorn with Buffalo Realty. And let's talk about 260 Tipperary Road, a horse owner's dream. 41 acres located off of Tipperary Road for easy access, great opportunity for ropers or horse lovers. Nice portable roping arena with roping chute, catch pen, and return alley. This arena is negotiable along with the fifth wheel. Property includes well, electricity, eight-saw barn. Call me, Christy Kinghorn at Buffalo Realty, connecting people with property. Heads up, whether it's at work, at home, or play, take a few seconds to look up and locate any overhead power lines. When working outside, be sure to keep yourself and any tools or equipment you're using at least 10 feet away. Teach your children to fly kites or toys in areas away from overhead power lines. And do not attempt to remove anything that has become tangled with a line. Always assume an overhead power line is energized and dangerous. A safety message brought to you by Montana Dakota Utilities. In the community to serve. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, proudly brought to you by our friends out there at First Federal Bank and Trust. I'm Floyd Whiting and with me this morning is the Executive Director of the Museum at the Bighorns, Danielle Stuckel. On August 18th, the museum hosted a leadership open house and staff was on hand to speak about programs and exhibits. Danielle, how did it turn out? I was really excited about how that turned out for us. That was probably the most successful open house we've had yet. And we had some really nice visitation from local leaders. Um, it, it was We were able to have some really nice uh, opportunities to get people through the door who haven't been there for a long time and see that we're making changes and get an idea of where we want to go in the future, how we want to. The museum wants to grow to be more of a of a um, 
resource for the community in ways that we haven't been before. We've we've always had exhibits and we've had programs, but we want to have a richer, deeper meaning in the community and really rise to that occasion that um, people can ex expect a certain standard of programming from us and a certain standard of exhibits. So it's really nice to be able to have local influencers and leaders come into the museum and see what we're doing so they get a better understanding of what our strategic plan is, where we hope to go in the future, um, and just, you know, again, building relationships. If people don't know you and don't know what you're doing, it's harder to go to them when you actually need their help or support. And, and if they know that we're trying new things, that just greases the wheels to keep building those relationships. One thing that I've always appreciated about our local museums, you guys don't shy away from the controversial subjects as well. Um, you know, not all history is pretty. And, and sometimes we have to turn around and actually face uh, some of the ugly things that, uh, you know, have, have been done in history so that we can learn from them, never forget them, so right. that they never happen again. Right. Um, and, and I've always appreciated that about local museums, being able to stand up there. And I can understand that, uh, certainly from a, a point of view of uh, someone who may not want to look at that kind of thing, and so they want to shut it down. And so right. you would need support from leaders in the local community yes, to yeah. stand up and stand beside you. It's a delicate balance. It is. A lot of times museums can be accused of being edutainment, of being a little bit more like Disney World than the Smithsonian or, you know, an academic institute. And so we're always trying to find the right, the sweet spot. Where do we have lighter content that is more of a... Uh, maybe more entertaining than it is strictly educational mm -hmm. so that we get people in the door and that they enjoy themselves and have a positive experience with their family. But then how do we also take them um, deeper into something that is more controversial and and have them enjoy that experience also and find meaning in that? And, and museums all over the country can be seen in the newspaper where they um, have not hit that balance properly. Yeah, no, yeah, I totally <laughs> um, get it. It's yeah. a constant challenge. And and you do get pushback sometimes from your community. And and that's where it does really help to do th these things like, like the open houses that we've had. If people are coming in and getting to know us and see that they can talk to us and express concerns and that we'll try to respond to that. You can't make everybody happy, but overall we really want to be a resource that our community can trust and support. There you go. I think that that one word's got a lot with it. Trust. I trust the information that's coming out of that museum yeah. is information uh, as as we know it. Um, you know, things change all the time. Yeah. Uh, and again, like we talked about earlier with the kids, if we're teaching people how they can learn about these topics, I don't necessarily have to argue that you have to agree with my point of view. I have to tell you, this is where, this, these are the sources I used. This is where I found these sources. These are other sources that are out there. And you can also look at all of this stuff and come to your own conclusion. And we may agree or not. We may find a consensus. But I'm, I'm a historian. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm a human. I'm not always right. I bring bias to a topic also just like everybody else does. Um, but if I'm showing you you know where where I found material, and you can look at that too. We can have a really meaningful conversation and find some common ground. Absolutely, and that that's what it's all about: coming together, 
<clears throat> and and looking at the history and learning from it together. I mean, we're all going to piecemeal stuff, right? I, I want to take this, but I don't want to know about right. that type of. We all we all kind of do it, like you said, based on our own biases. Okay, we're, there's a raffle going on. I do want to hit this raffle. Uh, can you tell me uh, what the raffle is connected to? We have a raffle of this beautiful Sam Idings painting. He's a local artist, and we we have featured one of his paintings every year. Um, one of the local businesses um, downtown, um, Crow, Crow uh, Crazy Woman. Um, downtown um the business owner linda always supports us by purchasing and donating one of sam's paintings to us and we raffle it off in connection with our cemetery tours um this year the cemetery tours are september 8th and 9th it's a friday and a saturday and tickets are available through our website there or in person at the museum and that's where the raffle tickets are available is in person at the museum the raffle tickets are ten dollars a piece or three for twenty dollars and the uh, cemetery tour tickets are $25 a piece and they do a tour of the cemetery this year they're featuring local ranches and we have several actors that are portraying they're doing living history and portraying local ranchers and after after the tour um, they have refreshments and on Saturday night they actually raffle off the painting and it's something they've been doing for several years at the museum um, it's new to me so I'm still learning I haven't been to one of our cemetery tours yet I'm looking forward to that and one of our board members Edry Mayer has been working really hard to promote this and make sure everything goes along how it normally goes and I've grateful for her support in she's that. great isn't yeah. she i've had her in here a couple times uh that's an individual who really does support uh local history yeah and and she is working hard to make sure this event goes off again without a hitch and we're happy to support it and and happy to have the the painting is it's a smaller canvas um but it is just darling it's got these really bright vibrant colors and it features a teepee in it the colors are like autumn colors oranges and reds and it's really a pretty little painting that there's a picture of it on our website uh, museumbighorns.org so people can see it and come down to the museum and get a raffle ticket so uh, to get a raffle ticket i just got to show up at the museum and then purchase one there yep how much are those ten dollars and three for twenty all right and now uh, I know you're new to the, kind of the, the living museum thing. How do the actors get ready for that? I have done living history in the past. Um, so I'm making some assumptions on what um, our folks do based on what I know from my own experience. It's an incredible amount of research. Most For a project like this, probably 90% of your time for is probably just in research and there's probably only 10 percent of your time actually presenting to the public <laughs> yeah, they, they put so much work into this yeah and because you're also looking at you have to understand the context of the time period you're portraying you have to understand the specific person or if you're looking at you know several several people um a, you know that you're putting together to be a person that you're portraying um you have to do a lot of thinking about what that looks like, what a conversation looks like. Are you doing a demonstration? Do you know how to do something? Do you have to learn a skill to represent this person? Do you have the clothing that you need? Do you have to... A lot of people who do living history make all of their own clothing. Oh, wow. And 
it's just an incredible amount of work that people don't see. You go to a museum and you spend 15 minutes watching somebody, you know, do some blacksmithing for a while, and you don't realize that they just they spent 14 hours this week preparing for the one-hour demonstration you had. Oh, <laughs> it's it's just so much work, but it is it is so valuable though. Um, yeah. I, I can remember even as a child, we had uh, someone come in and portray Sacagawea in a classroom and, and we got to ask her questions and stuff. And, and as a little kid, I mean, yeah, you know, it's an actress historian, yeah. but at the same time, you know, when you're a little kid, there's a, a hero in history in front of you, yeah. you know? So it's, it's kind of got that, like that entertainment value right. that you were talking about. But at the same time, I'm learning. A lot of people find that style of learning history extremely appealing. And it's not for everybody, but people who like it really like it a lot and really connect with that and like being able to see that come to life yeah. and be able to talk to somebody. And, and But people... Most, you know, most people recognize this as an actor. They're familiar with actors and actresses. They're so much part of our lives. We see them everywhere. So people are familiar with this is this is somebody portraying a person. But to be able to tap into that person's knowledge and understanding of the historical figure they're they're portraying is really meaningful for a lot of people. And to feel like you're having a conversation with that person is fun. And, and again, you're making connections. That's so much of what history is about, is just connecting people to each other, people of the past, places and events. Um, how do you know a person or something is special unless a historian helps you connect, make that connection in that way. And so somebody who's fluent in both history and theater and, and can do a portrayal like that, it is not an easy thing to do. And um, it takes a lot of skill and um, art and science and talent and, and all of those things to do, to be really good at it. Absolutely. Like you said, Dad, a lot of these folks making their own clothes that they know. Right. This, this is, uh, you know, relevant to the character and they would have wore something exactly like this. Uh, yeah. And that's a lot of work to go into. And yeah. we are grateful for the individuals who dedicate, you know, maybe it's a hobby for them. <laughs> who knows? But we really are thankful that they're out yeah. there. It's something that I'm not good at. I've done a little bit of living history and <laughs> I yeah. had to do more of a generic my time your time kind of thing because I'm just I don't have the the personality and the skill set to really dig deep into being an actress and it was not what I was good at. <laughs> you got you got to kind of have that that performance aspect to it, yes, don't you? Yep. To really sell it over yes, the top. Because yep. uh, then then everyone's involved in it. Now, real quick, I want to touch on one more thing. You have another program coming up. It actually sounds like a lot of fun uh, for people who want to just kind of go up and have conversations about history. Yes. History Happy Hour is yes. uh, on Friday. Friday. What's what's going on there? Well, it's um, uh, September twenty second, um, so it's we have a few weeks before we do that. September Friday, September twenty second at five thirty. We're having just a real casual get together. People can bring their own beverages. Um, uh, we're not providing any any alcohol, but people are welcome to bring some if they want to. Um, it's but it's still kid friendly. 
um, kids are welcome to come, but bring a campground chair, a comfy chair. We're going to sit out on the porch if it's nice. If it's not nice, we'll bring it inside the museum, but we're just going to sit around campfire style and share stories. We do have some um, of our of our volunteers and board members have volunteered to help lead a conversation. A retired fireman, Greg Lumen, is one of our um, board members, and he's going to talk about, he's going to lead a conversation about the Ritz fire, which I'm not that familiar with. I only know a little bit about it, but I understand that it was a really significant event in local history and fairly recent history. I think maybe the 80s, I'm not sure. But um, Greg is going to help lead that. So there is a theme, there is a topic we're going to talk about, but we're really expecting it to kind of morph into just a casual conversation and people just sit around and um, talk about history in the community and whatever floats their boat. And that sounds like a fantastic time. September 22nd, 5.30 p.m. Yeah. Grab your chair. Head yes. up to the museum. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show this morning. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for having me. I love being here. Thank you. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we're going to speak with the Jim Getchall Memorial Museum Executive Director, Sylvia Brunner. You're listening to Public Pulse on 930 and 103.9 FM. Sheridan. First Federal Bank and Trust would like to recognize this week's winner of $1,000 cash and a $1,000 marketing donation match from Sheridan Media as part of their community commitment. Story Banner Community Food Pantry is receiving these funds per random drawing. We're giving $1,000 away every week to a qualified nonprofit organization. Next week, it could be your nonprofit. Visit our website, efirstfederal.bank, for details. First Federal Bank and Trust and Sheridan Media present Community Commitment. Member FDIC. Startup Challenge is live. This is Scott Rendell, Director of Impact 307 in Sheridan. We are now accepting applications for our 2023 challenge that will help us identify the next group of new, innovative businesses for our area. Filling out the application involves just a few questions, and it's free. You can find the application link at SheridanMedia.com. Impact staff can help. Call 675-1939 to set up an appointment. Hurry, the applications are only accepted through September 18th, and we want you to be included. When you talk to your pets, this is what they hear. And your dog replies... Hey, Mr. Whiskers, I think he's saying we're getting new dog and cat food from Northwest Naturals. Raw diets for dogs and cats sold locally only at the Health Nut. He says Northwest Naturals has cat treats, too. Which means you guys stay here. I'm going to the Health Nut in Sheridan's 5th Street Mall right now. Looking for an easy way to invest in your health this year? Hi, this is Amber Shirley from First Northern Bank of Wyoming, and a health savings account may be the answer you're looking for. Not only are HSA contributions tax deductible, but you can use your HSA account for medical appointments, vision, pharmacy, dentist visits, and much more. If you are eligible for a free HSA account with First Northern Bank, you will get a debit card to use for all of your health care needs. Stop in to visit us at 29 North Gould Street and see if an HSA account is right for you. First Northern Bank of Wyoming, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Join the Sheridan Sundowners Lions Club for the third annual main event gravel grinder charity bike ride. With 25, 50, and 80 mile events to choose from, all courses start and end at Wyarno, with moderate routes suitable for both novice and veteran rider alike. Taking place on September 23rd, rolling hills and fall colors await. And don't forget, it's for a great cause. Proceeds from registration go to help fund vision screenings, eye exams, glasses, and even operations for youth and needy residents of Sheridan County. For more information, visit maineventgravel.com. Good 
Welcome back to Public Pulse, proudly brought to you by our friends out there at First Federal Bank and Trust. I'm Floyd Whiting. With me for the second part of our show this morning is the executive director of the Jim Getchall Memorial Museum in Buffalo, Wyoming, Sylvia Bruner. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning, Floyd. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on the show. I greatly appreciate you jumping on here. Uh, What you've got to talk about is extremely important. I was just speaking with uh, the executive director, Danielle Stuckel, uh, from uh, the museum at the Bighorns. We were talking about history, context, and uh, even some of the darker parts of history. And that's really something that you and I are going to look at today. But uh, before we get too far into that, are you staying dry this morning? No. <laughs> it's pretty Not wet at out all. there. How, uh, how did you uh, did you get wet walking out to feed the mules this morning? Uh, you no, know, I ignored them, but I do have two small children that, you know, you got to hustle them in and, out, in and out of a car, and they don't quite understand how umbrellas work. And, <laughs> you know, case you're off. It's the adventure, my friend. It's it the is. adventure. All right. Now, uh, for those who may not know, what Harton Mountain is? What was its purpose? Well, that's a really good question because it's a pretty deep answer. But the basics is that Hart Mountain is a physical site just over the mountain near, um, I think it's closest to Cody. It's kind of halfway between Cody and Powell. I'm showing my geographic ignorance here. It's okay. <laughs> I, always, I always get Powell and Lovell confused. Um but it's so it's a World War II site. It was created really in violation of U.S. law, but in a kind of knee-jerk reaction to the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And so that knee-jerk reaction turned into the U.S. government turning against its own citizens of Japanese descent. And they created, I believe it was 11 um, internment camps. They were basically prison camps. That's a more accurate way to describe them. And they forcibly removed families from across the nation, but primarily the West Coast. It's, it's really kind of a divided thing. This did not happen on the East Coast. This happened from the middle of the country to the West. And they forced all of these families into these camps um, for the duration of the war. And if that wasn't bad enough, most of these people also lost all of their assets, their homes, their businesses, etc. Um, so it is a very dark chapter in our history. Now, Heart what, Mountain. Go ahead. Um, Heart Mountain specifically is now a um, interpretive center. People can go visit it in person, and I cannot stress enough how much I recommend to people that they need to do this, especially people in Wyoming. This is something in our own backyard, quite literally. And the people who have put the site together have done an absolutely amazing, fantastic job of tackling that hard story, those really difficult stories, into an educational experience that I think you, you just have to visit at least a couple of times. Sylvia, how long would a Japanese, well, a citizen of Japanese descent in the United States have spent there on average to your recollection? Um, I'm sure that it varied, and it varied also by what camps they were sent to, but basically for the duration of the war. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at three years at uh, yep. at the most. For a huge chunk of, of a family's lifetime. 
Um, a number of people died in the camps. A number of people had health issues. They weren't exactly put into nice housing. And yeah. It was barely considered housing by any kind of humanitarian standards. Um, you know, they were literally surrounded by barbed wire and had armed guards to keep them from escaping. Um, a prison. Like, pretty difficult kinds of histories. Uh, certainly for me, when I have visited the site and read some of the stories, it really makes me refocus and appreciate all of the things in my life that I have never had to experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the loss of control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's one thing that uh, really at the core of the fear of it all, uh, you know, being forced into a camp um, by a government. And, and by our your own government. By your government. That's right. Yeah. It, like your own government. It's happened yeah. right here in the United States. We can even walk over the hill and take a look at it. Who is Sam Mihara? So Sam Mihara was a young child when he and his family were taken to Heart Mountain. Um, Sam is one of the few people who not only was at a camp, but who is willing to talk about his experiences in public settings, and he shares his program. He's been doing this now for a number of years, and it is an absolutely amazing program. Um, Sam is hes an incredible person from what he has been through, but also what he has achieved. He's literally a retired rocket scientist. Oh, wow. Um, incredibly smart guy and excellent public speaker, too. I mean, when you attend one of his programs, you're just kind of carried into his story, and its it's pretty amazing. Um, we did have Sam in Buffalo, I think it was March of 2017 or 18. I'm losing track of my years, Floyd. Um, we had him a few years ago, but he had reached out a few months ago and said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm kind of getting back on the tour circuit again, and I'd like to come back through Wyoming. And we said, please come here. We'll, we will host you again. This is the kind of opportunity that anytime it's offered needs to be taken advantage of. And I'm also really proud of Buffalo High School. Um, they are bringing him into the high school to visit with some of the students there so that they get the opportunity to learn his story and meet him. Um, and I just I think that's a really great, you know, kind of be above and beyond thing that the high school is putting together and doing. And they're also letting us use the high school auditorium as the location for this program because our museum does not have, you know, a large facility to host public programming. So we're dependent on others, and BHS is coming to our rescue. That's fantastic. And now, when is this program going to be available to the public? Tuesday, September 12th. And the public program, the one that the museum is sponsoring, will be at 530, again, at Buffalo High School, in the auditorium. So it's comfortable seating. It can host up to, I think, 500 or so people. Ample parking, easy to get to and a great sound system in place, too. Now, is this a ticketed event, or or can I just show up? You can just show up. So the museum, in cooperation with the high school and some support sponsorship by Wyoming Humanities, we are making this available to our community at no charge. Um, The other cool thing about, well, there's multiple cool things about Sam, but one of the other cool things about him is that he does have a speaker's fee and he uses that fee to actually support the Heart Mountain site. He was one of the people who actually got that site um, developed as an interpretive center, and so it's very near and dear to his heart and pretty cool thing to just 
kind of watch that support trickle back to the place. Absolutely. As a rocket scientist, I'm sure he doesn't need the money. Uh, so putting that to an even a, a better use, uh, yeah. you know, to further the education of the public about what happened up there. Does he describe the living conditions? He does, yes. Can you give us just a, a general idea of what that was like? Um, my my takeaway from his program, and also he has a book that he's written, it's called Blindsided. Um, it was a mixed bag in the sense of, like, humans, humans do have that ability to adapt to their circumstances. And so the living conditions were not good. People were crowded into very hastily, poorly built shacks, and there were too many people per square foot in those shacks, so you didn't have a lot of privacy. They were terribly cold in the winter and hot in the summer. But then there's also stories of the kids playing together, working together. They had a Boy Scout troop. Um, you know, so there's these pieces of joy and happiness because that's what humans still have the ability to do even in the worst of situations. Um, and I think that's the heart of Sam's messaging is really about, like, human rights and humanity, and he just brings everything back to those points. How long was he a prisoner there? Um, you know, I'm looking at his paperwork because I don't remember the exact dates, but I think it was three years. Wow. That, that long time. It's substantial. That's yeah, substantial I, amount of time. Yep. When he talks about this, um, is there resentment, and which I'm sure, you know, he has every right to mm-hmm. have it, but do you, is he still resentful of, of the events that happened to him, his family? Uh, and and I'm, like I said, he would have every right if he were. Right. Um, I have attended a couple of Sam's programs, and each time I have been amazed at how his message comes across with love and care for his fellow human. And I remember sitting in the audience thinking, I mean, I felt angry. And I remember just being kind of in awe of how are you not Yeah angry and he he actually answered that that's a pretty common question i think that he gets and he is angry he was angry but he also will not let that override who he is and it, again his messaging coming back to like the heart of humanity and we can be better we can always do better um the grace that sam possesses is really something to be admired you know i i really find this individual so fascinating. I would love to meet uh, Mr. Mehara um, and and just speak with him for a little bit about his experiences and and how one lives, works, contributes to the society, the government that had essentially imprisoned you um, for so long. Uh, finding that hope when when you feel like there is none you know, that's, there's something very human about that. And then to be able to go on and use this as a learning opportunity mm-hmm. for your fellow citizens so that it never happens again, as opposed to just be bitter about it. I, I, I like to think that I uh, would do something as admirable as Mr. Mahara, but uh, I, I can't sit here and say that I would without, Same. you know what I mean, without having gone through something like that. Can you tell me one more time when and where he will be speaking right here in our own little region? Yep. 
he'll be in Buffalo at the Buffalo High School Auditorium Tuesday, September 12th at 5.30 p.m. Um, again, between Wyoming Humanities, the Jim Gatchel Memorial Museum, and Buffalo High School, we are making this program available at no cost to the community because we want you to come and hear Sam's message and learn about this period of history and also just the, like I said, the kind of humanity, human rights topics that are always going to be a part of our ongoing stories. Absolutely. And, and you know, folks, this could be your opener for you. Uh, you could go visit uh, uh, Heart Mountain Interpretive Center before or after and uh, go down and listen to, uh, I imagine, doctor, uh, <laughs> scientist, but uh, Sam Mahara's talk about what it was like living there. And I imagine a little bit on what it was like to live in the world after living mm-hmm. going through this experience which i imagine is just horrible so make sure that you get down there folks now uh sylvia i don't have a lot of time left but i did want to touch on a fundraiser for the museum's entrance uh you guys have got yeah. some damage out there and i was wondering how that was going it has gone very well we're coming up to the end of our first our first small fundraiser. So it's a large project. It's like a $600,000 project to get the whole building fixed on the exterior. Um, And that's obviously a chunk of change. So we're kind of doing smaller fundraisers for a while. And the first one, we got super lucky. A museum supporter said, I'll give you $30,000 as a match if you can raise another $30,000 to go with it. And we are there. Um, I have not yet updated our Network for Good site to show all of that because I've been (laughs) trying to catch up on other jobs. But um, if anybody wants to get in on that matching fundraiser, that ends the last day of this month. So you've got just a couple days left to do that. You can donate online via the museum's website, which is just www.jimgatchel.com, or certainly come in and visit in person. We'd love to see and visit with folks and you know, if you're really curious, I'll even show you the damage to the building. Um, but the other thing that people need to know is that the Johnson County Commissioners have been also doing some pretty great work on securing funding for this. This is a county-owned building, um, and they are really stepping up here to take care of it. We really appreciate them. And the most exciting thing, I think, I'm really nerding out about this, is that we will be having work started in just a couple of weeks. So the the whole project is being divided into multiple phases, and phase one is going to actually happen this year. Um, The east side of the building, which is the front entrance, is where it's the worst, and there's some water mitigation that needs to happen, and it's going to get started. So I think it'll also be really fun to show people as we go, here's what's needed, here's what the money has actually done, this is what we're doing to preserve this beautiful building and amazing facility. Absolutely. Sylvia, I want to thank you so much for coming on this morning and sharing a bit of uh, Sammy Har's history. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're just really grateful that we have the ability to have him come to our community and talk about this. And we really encourage people to get out and, and attend this program. You will you will not regret that time spent. All right. If you would like to hear Mr. Mihara's story, he will be in Buffalo for this program. Tuesday, September 12th, 5.30 p.m., Buffalo High School Auditorium. You've been listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE at 103.9 FM. Share.
time to cowboy up and register for the annual Wolf Creek Wrangle Trail Run. Race day is September 16th. You can run, hike, or participate virtually in a 5-mile, 7-mile, half marathon, or 30K. Hosted by the historic Eaton's Ranch and all proceeds benefit Habitat for Humanity. Spots are limited, so register at runwolfcreekwrangle.com. This race brought to you by Fremont Toyota of Sheridan and sponsored in part by Sheridan Media and Sheridan County Travel and Tours. The Story Community Library is currently raising funds for the construction of a resource addition to its library. The project began with a generous piece of donated land, and construction is scheduled to be completed later this year. But the work continues, and they can always use your support. Please help them now. Donate to the project by either contacting the Story Community Library or by sending your donation to the Story Community Library Building Fund, P.O. Box 188, Story, Wyoming, 82842. And thanks. It's your comfort zone, your place to unwind. So why not have it exactly how you want it? That's right. It's time to spruce up your home. Are you thinking about a countertop remodel in your kitchen, bar, or bathroom, or adding a custom stone bar, outdoor fireplace, or hot tub with beautiful stone surrounds? Sheridan Custom Stone is here to make it a reality. Visit Sheridan Custom Stone at 1765 South Sheridan Avenue today to start your dream project. You know that old saying that people that live in stone houses shouldn't throw glasses? Well, the same goes for the guy who swears at his 4 before because it don't run right. Handos. You heard me. Handos Service Center will take the cussing out of you and your 4 before's relationship. Bring that bad boy in and get it tuned up. Fixed up and accessorized so it gets you where you want to go and then back again. Don't bark up the wrong tree. Bark up the right tree. Handos Service Center on Sheridan's Heartland Drive. Rooted in Wyoming's 7th Annual Farm to Table event is coming up on September 23rd with an intentional dining experience and music from Shot in the Foot and Tencent Stranger. This year's dinner is paired and plated collaboration of local producers and chefs, each bite telling a story that is Rooted in Wyoming. It's more than a meal, it's a chance to support Rooted's mission to cultivate local food. The Sandish Family Fund will generously be matching donations. Limited seating, so don't miss out. Visit rootedinwyoming.org under the Farm to Table tab. It's time to cowboy up and register for the annual Wolf Creek Wrangle Trail Run. Race day is September 16th. You can run, hike, or participate virtually in a 5-mile, 7-mile, half marathon, or 30K. Hosted by the historic Eaton's Ranch and all proceeds benefit Habitat for Humanity. Spots are limited, so register at runwolfcreekwrangle.com. This race brought to you by Fremont Toyota of Sheridan and sponsored in part by Sheridan Media and Sheridan County Travel and Tours. From the Wyoming Corporate Office Studio on 103.9 FM and News Talk 930.